you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. I'm gonna just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Spread the floor, let's go! Welcome to Buckets. My name's Matt Moore and I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Glad to be with you here on a Tuesday. This is the big picture. We break down the biggest stories in the NBA from the week that was. We talk about where things are headed, how are actionable moves being made, all that and more. We're going to do it this week with my good buddy, NBA Futures Analyst at the Action Network, Brandon Anderson. Brandon, how are you? Good. It was a fantastic weekend of basketball. Sort of feels like a season reset. Like we came out of the break. We had all these big moves. We got some of these guys healthy finally. Feels like we learned a lot the last few days. It's funny that you say that because I'm on the other end, which is a lot of the teams that were healthy for a lot of the year now are hurt. And so it's like, you know, yesterday the Jazz get a monster win versus the Suns, but no CP3. They've now lost two straight. The Suns look very beatable. Uh, still should be able to hold on to the one seed. We can talk about that more later. But in general, like the Warriors are beatable without Draymond and like, you know, the Nets are getting KD back. We're in a real flux place, but I'm hoping that by the end of the season, we can get everybody back healthy. I want to remind you that if you are looking to bet absolutely anything, download the Action Network app. What are you waiting for? Go do it right now. If you listen to this podcast, you got to do that. You got to go download the Action Network app. It's going to be the best way for you to track your bets. Uh, keep up to, to the second information with where the money is coming in, where the bets are coming in, track Brandon's picks, including uh, a fantabulous Lakers to win the the uh, NBA title pick they put in last week, prompting the worst weekend maybe in Lakers history. So congrats to Brandon on the ultimate jinx there. You can track all that and more in the Action Network app. We're going to start, as we always do on the big picture, with tip-off. This is the latest news and stories from around the league. On Sunday, the Warriors had themselves a comfortable 21-point lead in, in the fourth quarter versus the Dallas Mavericks, and instead they surrendered a 26-1 to run as the Warriors completely collapse and the Dallas Mavericks get their second big win in 30 games and had a shot at three in a row versus the Jazz on Friday night. We had that on our NBA bet stream presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, Brandon, I'll ask you this. So Raheem... Warriors hater that we know he's low on this Warriors team and I'm glad that he's not on this podcast because he would be uh, just barking up a storm about it Uh, look my thought just is yeah all right if Draymond Green's not going to play then the Warriors are definitely beatable and they're not the same team and they're honestly kind of mediocre 
it's just like, that's how much Draymond Green means to not only this team, but Steph Curry. I guess my other question for you, um, as my Steph Curry futures for MVP are now absolutely toast. Thanks for that shooting stretch. Um, I just would ask you, like, we keep waiting for the Warriors offense to look a little bit more like itself. Like, we keep waiting consistently. And look, Curry had 27 points, but he had it on 11 of 25 shooting, 3 of 10 from 3. Are we at a point finally where you are a little bit concerned about Steph's shooting and the Warriors offense in general? I'm not really. When Steph puts out, you know, look, 27 points, 10 assists, one turnover with no teammates. Like the rest of the starting lineup last night, it's not just Draymond. Clay is out also. We got all-star Andrew Wiggins, Gary Payton, Kevon Looney, and Moses Moody. That's the lineup. Like this is take Steph away. And this is the team that we saw two years ago when we took Steph away that got the number one pick, you know, like, or, or close to the number one pick because they're just, there's nothing else there. The last 10 games, Steph is at 26 points, eight assists, 38% on threes under three turnovers a game. He's, he's fine. He was fine yesterday. He was good yesterday. He was genuinely good. 27, well, 10, 27 points on 25 shots is not good for Steph Curry. No, I mean, it's not, it's not MVP Steph Curry, but 10 assists and one turnover. When you have how many eyes on the defense on him at all times, like seven, seven, eight, maybe like you're not paying attention to anybody, but Steph, when he's on the floor with those guys around him down the stretch, that entire run, we had way too much Damian Lee for my life. I don't need that much Damian Lee in my life ever. I don't know what Steve Kerr is doing with that. Jonathan Kaminga. I know there are flashes. He's not a positive player yet. That was the entire run. The Warriors shot 28% on three. And even with all of that, there were like five times where Steph barely missed a layup or barely missed a three. And then you hit any one of those down the stretch, they probably still pull, pull this win out. So I'm not making too much of it. Draymond practiced. He's going to be back soon. I feel like they're kind of slow playing that one. Clay will be out there most of the time. You know, credit for Dallas, but... I don't I don't look at this and be like, oh, it's it's a meltdown. The Mavs are here. The Warriors are done. I think it's a day where the fourth quarter happened. No, I, I get that. But I, I do think, look, at some point, we're going to have to acknowledge that Steph has not been the shooter that we have always known him to be. Like yesterday was a great example of the perception versus the reality of where Steph's at right now. This pregame video of him taking two steps back and hitting a shot <laughs> and two steps back and hitting a shot. Everyone's like, oh, my God, can you believe what Steph Curry did? And then it's like. Okay, but but then the the game started and he shot 11 of 25 and three of 10 from three. And I'll say this Curry's efficiency is diminished in the playoffs. It's not diminished to the point where he's not a factor. It's not diminished to the point where he's not a great player, but it is harder for him to get a lot of the relocation stuff when teams are game planning for him. Like we've seen the efficiency drop. This is why he doesn't have a finals MVP. The number of like series where Steph has absolutely dominated, given his number of playoff series is relatively, I don't want to say low, okay? Average? Like, it's not exceptional. You're not like, man, every single series, Steph is, like, dominant. That's just not how it feels, right? And so if if we're starting with a place where Steph's not shooting as well as he has been, like, I've been holding out with you. I've been like, it's going to come. He's going to go back. It's going to be Splash City all the time. It's going to be great. My Warriors finals tickets are good. I'll say it. I'm getting a little nervous that Steph's efficiency has dropped enough with the expected playoff diminish. I'm a little worried about it. I just, I feel all of that is fair. I, you know, he he's older. 
He's not what the MVP level he was at before. He was for maybe a 15-game stretch this year, but he hasn't been for a long time now. It's all very fair. He has not been sizzling MVP Steph Curry in the playoffs, whatever the comparison is, for a guy that might be a top 10, 15 player ever, certainly in that range for me. He's not been that in the playoffs. All of that is fair. I just don't think all of that is what we saw yesterday. What we saw yesterday is why Steph Curry should be in the MVP conversation still when you can take a few rookies and G-leaguers. Like, like Gary Payton has been awesome this year. Gary Payton was not an NBA player before the season started, and he was suddenly like the fourth best player on the team yesterday. Steph had that team dominating a very good Mavericks team that we're giving credit to here, dominating before they fell apart. Like the first three quarters count also. And that was Steph with the other guys. Like yesterday to me was about getting the all-star selection wrong, choosing Andrew Wiggins as a starter over Draymond for starters. I think we all know, but you're missing Draymond. He's been out for a big chunk of this cold shooting Steph stretch. Just, To me, the question is still Draymond. If Draymond comes back and is healthy, I will feel fine about my Warriors futures. I'll just say this. Heavy is the crown. And this has always been the thing. Like, I'm sorry that your team isn't that great. Welcome to Nikola Jokic's world. Honestly, welcome to Luka (laughs) Doncic's world. Like, Dinwiddie had a fantastic game yesterday. It's been great since he got to Dallas. But for most of the season, Luka hasn't had much of a cast either. And so I'm just like, I'm sorry. This is how this is what frustrates me about Steph is when he's awesome, when he has all the superstar talent, everybody's like the best player. Why are people talking about Steph Curry as the best player in the league? And then he doesn't have all that talent around him. And it's like, well, he needs help. It's like, this is how it works, guys. This is how I mean, it works. You know, look, the last time Steph had real teammates with him one week ago, he made 16 threes in a game. So I think that's a pretty easy conclusion. Sure, just sure. got to give him some help. Just just got to get him some help like an all-star <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum from the Dallas Mavericks and even from the Warriors is, oh boy, the Los Angeles Lakers. You and I on this podcast last week talked ourselves once again <laughs> into a Lakers future. Uh, and then they go out and they get blown apart by the New Orleans Pelicans, a good team. I want to stress this. The Pelicans are a good team now. Like they've been a good team for about a month. CJ's made them even better or about two months, honestly. CJ's made them better. The Pels are a good team. The Pels are not a 28 points better than the Lakers or should be team. And it is now like a deeply concerning situation for what this is going to look like the rest of the season with the Lakers, because look, they're up three on Portland in the loss column for a play in spot. They're up four on the Spurs. The Blazers are pretty obviously tanking. Like Jason Quick reported, like basically said the other day that they've shut down use of Nurkic for tanking purposes. Okay. All right, the Blazers are tanking. The Spurs are still kind of being competitive. The Kings want to win, but I don't think that they can because they're just really bad. I don't know that the Lakers can fall out. I don't know that the Lakers can stay in. The worst part of all of this is just, look, I bet the Lakers yesterday. Model had it to where I was like, hey, I think there's value on the Lakers here. Like they should be more of a favorite than they are at minus one. And they lost by 28 the amount of quit in this team is greater than the teams that are tanking. The teams that are outright tanking have showed more spine and effort and heart than the Los Angeles Lakers. This is a betting podcast. I don't want to talk about the Lakers heart and their, their willpower, but I'll just say I'm not betting the Lakers for a foreseeable time under no circumstances under, I don't care what the line is. I don't care what they put it at. 
I do not trust the Los Angeles Lakers from here on out unless they go on some sort of massive correction, which we keep waiting for and has not come. Yeah, I mean, they said on the on the broadcast last night, you can't coach effort. Right. And there was no effort. There was none. They just quit mid game. And we've seen LeBron do that before. We've seen LeBron teams do it before. We've seen Russ do it before. Not as often. Russ usually kind of goes hard all the way. But the difference, you know, you talk, you've talked about this a lot. Those tanking teams. Yeah, the front office is tanking. Anthony Simons is not tanking. Trenton Wofford is, is playing for a job. Who are the Lakers that are like that? Like Malik Monk and Austin Reeves are trying to get a job. The rest of these guys are like on retirement account already. Like they don't have anyone to impress there. If they don't feel like trying that night, they're just not going to try. So it's a big problem. Like the Lakers just lost to the Clippers and the Pelicans. Those are their peers this season. Those are the teams that, that they are losing ground to. Uh, I thought it was really curious too. Look, I, I gotta be honest. I had a great weekend. I got home last night and watched the second half of this game. It's the most fun thing I did the entire <laughs> weekend. Just watching this implode was glorious to me. But what are the Lakers doing? LeBron played 36 minutes in this game. Yeah. Why? Messy, messy situation with the Lakers. Um, they play Dallas tomorrow night. I'm not going to bet it. I might bet it. We'll see if I, <laughs> if I, if I get a good line on the, on the Mavericks, but boy, I, yeah. The Lakers, by the way, the Lakers and Wizards, Russell Westbrook's last two teams have identical records right now. Yeah. And uh, here's one for you. Right now, at this very moment, the Lakers have a 1.8% chance of winning the number one pick in the NBA lottery this year. Would you give them better or worse percent chance of winning the number one pick or winning the title? Even. It's even. <laughs> they, they do get to keep their pick if it's in top four. So yeah, I was just looking at. I just wanted to look up exactly what the what the uh, what. That's the, it. It's unprotected unless it's top four. So yeah, we'll hope protected like for eleven to thirty to Memphis. Protected for selections one to ten. So that was okay. just top ten. Yeah, well, they might be getting that pick. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, how happy would you be if they wound up like? Oh, hey, they get you like. That's weird. The Lakers won the lottery. That would be what? What? The lottery hosted by Patrick Ewing on NBA. Great. Uh, let's go back to the, the Mavericks for a second. So the Mavericks have gotten two big wins out of the last three. I was on the bet stream for them on Friday. Uh, they were in a winnable situation versus the Jazz. They led for most of that game. Down the stretch, Luka Doncic decided that Rudy Gobert was the matchup he wanted to attack. He attacked him twice. Gobert held his ground, did a great job switching on him. And then Luka decided to take 35-foot step-back threes. Yikes. Um, it was not great offense late in the game, but they got great contributions from Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. They again got good contributions from Spencer Dinwiddie last night in the win. So they're playing five out more. We kind of thought that the, the Mavericks were maybe done after basically salary dumping Chris Dapps Porzingis. Is there a chance that playing five out makes the Mavericks more dangerous in a playoff environment? I think there's certainly a chance of it. It seems like they should have been like, Bertans and Porzingis are not demonstrably different. Like, why weren't they just playing the same five out sort of thing with Porzingis in that Berton spot? I don't really know. But yeah, there certainly is a chance that they just have, have a better look now. More Luca, less Porzingis. Sure, more Luca. That sounds good. He's over the last maybe four to six weeks, he is playing about as well as the three guys we have in the MVP race. Like, he's been awesome. Last seven games. 
37 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, 44% on threes, by the way, be hitting that Luka Doncic three point over right now. That's a prop that you and I both were on late last season. Remember he got hot for a while and was just started taking huge volume, 4.7 threes a game, the last seven games for Luka. He's had in that seven games, 12 or more free throws and all but one of those two. So it's just, it's, it's, it's the Luca show. It's the heliocentric Luca show all in. I don't know that it really moves the needle for me in a title race or that sort of picture. I bet him for scoring title. I think he has a shot at that. I think this is the closing stretch that kind of might launch him to actually deservingly being the MVP favorite next year. But I, I don't know that it's going to do a lot this year. What's crazy is they actually hasn't been great in two of these last three games. They're just getting really good contributions from the team. It's been interesting. Like Mavericks fans are like, he hasn't been great. Like they're actually, they're going common as why do we have to have Bane breaks in basketball? Because he's bad after the summer and he's bad after the all-star break. Uh, the other thing I would, I do want to mention going into this game Tuesday versus the Lakers. Uh, Luka Doncic turned 23 uh, on Sunday night. Today, today and Monday while we're recording. Today, sorry, on Monday. So they're definitely going out tonight. Yeah, that's true. They're definitely going out tonight in LA. That's all I'm going to say. Happy birthday, Luca. Happy birthday, I Luca. Wish I was this good at anything at age 23. I, I may or 38 for I that may, matter. I may take some unders on, on Luca props. For, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Uh, last thing before we get to the, the big picture for this week, I just want to touch on the incredible game that we saw on Saturday night between the Bulls and the Grizzlies. Phenomenal game. John Morant, 46 points. He was absolutely incendiary. He had a 360 layup off of a bounce pocket pass from uh, Steven Adams. That was just one of the best highlights. It was such a great highlight. If you go look up jaw 360 on YouTube or Twitter or whatever, it, it was so good. I sent it to everybody I know in my group chats who doesn't follow basketball. Like I never share NBA stuff because like, that's my, that's my work. Right. And I want to talk about other things. I was just like, you have to see this and shared it with like everyone. It was absolutely sick. However, as we've talked about, Grizzlies half-court offense absolutely grinds down in the fourth quarter. DeMar DeRozan almost leads them back. Uh, he gets tied up by Kyle Anderson, was very upset with it, got ejected um, after the, the no call, what he felt was a call there. And uh, the Grizzlies hold on to the win. But again, Memphis struggles in a late-game situation. So we're kind of in, like it's a reinforcement of our priors on this. Memphis is a really great team, and Memphis is going to have a shot to make a run in the playoffs. But – Every single game is going to be probably pretty tight if teams can hang within 10 points because their clutch time offense is going to struggle a little bit. Yeah, I wrote the preview for this one at Action Network, and my my read was just what you just said. Like, it it was right on. Grizzlies over the last 10 games are number one in the NBA in net rating in the first quarter. Chicago over the last 10 games, number one in the NBA in net rating in the fourth quarter. And that is literally what we saw play out in that game. The Grizzlies came out, looked great, built a big lead, held the big lead really through three quarters. And then Chicago just did their thing in the fourth quarter and and almost came back to steal it. And Memphis formula, one of the key components of their formula is dominating the possession battle. They dominate their number one offensive rebounding team in the league, and they dominate the turnover battle. They force so many turnovers, and they're getting like six or seven extra possessions per game. And we've seen... A lot of years, we've seen these teams like Coach Bud and some others that kind of get those extra couple possessions in the regular season and then get to the playoffs. You don't get seven possession margins over any teams anymore. They're too good. They're not taking over that way. They're not letting you dominate on the glass. And if suddenly if Memphis is not getting six or seven extra shots up 
against the Bulls or against whoever that they're going to face in the playoffs. Now is their half court offense good enough? For me, that's the reason that I'm still, I've still been leery on them. That This win, they cashed their over. They're the second team to hit their over. The Cavs did it like seven years ago. So uh, good on Grizzlies. Um, were you in the defense on this team? Because obviously early in the year, Memphis's defense was like last in the league. It was terrible. And now Dylan Brooks has been out and now they're awesome. So like they're number six on offense, basketball reference, net rating, number eight on defense. Which of those two do you believe in more or which of those two concerns you more? Or is it just kind of, no, they're just, there's good. I believe they're good. I just think that they're very good. Like they're switchable. They're able to hit. I think, you know, Adams is a problem, but they can take Adams off the floor and it's not an issue. They can switch one through five if need be. They have a bunch of counters. Um, they're good at the point of attack. All of their guys are good at the point of attack. They don't really have any weaknesses in terms of point of attack defense. There's nobody that you're like, we can absolutely target this guy. Maybe it's going to be jaw. And, you know, if, if they hunt that matchup, it might be, but you know, I, I don't know what the, the, maybe if it's, if it's Mavs, if it's Mavs Grizzlies, that might be an issue, right? Like Luca hunts down the switch on jaw, but if they do that, they're probably just going to blitz him. Right. There's all these kind of counters that they can run in. They run a pretty diverse like set of defenses. Honestly, they, they have a lot of things that they can go to. They can play at the level. They can switch. Um, they can drop with Adams. There's a lot of options for them. So I'm kind of the opinion that they're just good. I just think their defense is good enough to hang, which is going to make them a tough outlet. This is not a team I think is going to completely fall apart in the playoffs. I think they're a team that's going to be good in the playoffs. It's a matter of are they going to be good enough versus pretty high competition. Let's get to the big picture. This week's big picture There's no other team we can talk about but the Philadelphia 76ers. Over the weekend, since getting the debut of James Harden, they faced the Minnesota Timberwolves on a back-to-back, and then they come home and they face the New York Knicks. Um, And I'm sorry, that game was, I think it was actually in uh, New York on... Sunday. Yeah, it was in New York's two road games. The story is basically this Harden and B pick and roll is almost unstoppable. They are generating an unbelievable amount of free throws. These games are going to take 17 hours to get through because of all the free throws. Harden, you know, we talked about after the trade, Raheem was not sold on what on James Harden and thought he was washed. And James looks back like he's back back. Uh, and I said this, I said, don't be surprised if he comes out. And looks awesome. Like I don't know what else to tell you. Like it, you may not like it, but Harden was definitely, definitely dogging it. Like he just was. There's just no other way around this. I'm not saying he wasn't hurt. He took three weeks off to get his hamstring right. He was hurt. He got better. But with NBA superstars, there are levels of your performance and levels of your injury. Like you can play at different levels and look, the hamstring may tweak back up again. It's always going to be like, this is going to be a problem until the off season. Like he needs a full off season of rest probably to get his hamstring. Right. But he's back. He's hitting step back threes. He's making insane passes. There's all of these things. He's back. And so the Sixers look awesome. My question is going to be, are we going to see an overcorrection based off of this, this performance right here? I think so. And I think that's what I've kind of been waiting on because like this, this story told itself, this is James Harden. Like nobody is surprised right now while Joel Embiid is healthy and refreshed after a little break, 
while James Harden, yes, I do believe was dogging it, but also it's nice to get three weeks off. Nice to get healthy. That, that only helps just to get a little rested and healthy. That can only help you. You should look better after three weeks off than you looked before the three weeks off, regardless of your effort, you should look better after that. So, you know, Minnesota and New York, not the best defenses in the world, not really great at not fouling teams. The Timberwolves are a terrible fouling team. The Knicks defense is cratered this year. I'm not ready to determine a whole lot off of those two games, but it's easy to look at that game and be like, holy cow, got to bet the Sixers to win these. That's it. They're, they're unstoppable. And B, it looks like Shaq. Harden looks like Harden again. They're at the free throw line every 10 seconds. What are you going to do about it? But there's going to be an obvious sell point after like, I think maybe we're a game or two away. I think Wednesday and Friday are their next two games. And again, games that they should look awesome in. Uh, Embiid already is an odds-on favorite to win MVP now after these two games. I just, I'm ready to bet the other side, to bet the Sixers over on their seed, to bet somebody else on MVP once he pushes the odds too far. I'm going to give it a couple more games, but I, I think that's the move is to let them just go, everyone go all in on it and then take the other side. Philadelphia has the 10th toughest remaining schedule. They have one game versus the Suns, two games versus the Heat, one game versus the Bulls, three games versus the Cavs. We're probably going to be uh, outmatched in those matchups based off of the last one. One game versus the Bucs and one game versus the Nuggets, which we've talked about, which will probably go a long way in deciding the MVP. Um, you know, the MVP race is an interesting discussion, but we'll save that for another time. We've talked a lot about it in recent days. I just, I continue to be, it's very fascinating trying to program out what this is going to look like. There feels like a lot of momentum for Jokic, but it feels like Embiid is just going to continue putting up huge stats. One thing that's kind of been apparent in these first couple of games of the Sixers is Tyrese Maxey is benefiting a lot from this. Like he's absolutely yeah. been killing it. Um, are you going to be looking for props for Maxey? Because I feel like he's not, He's. I feel like he won't get the bump that maybe he should. He's playing really well as that secondary creator alongside Harden. It looks like a really good fit. Yeah, Maxi just, he suddenly goes from being the guy, the guy with the ball in his hands, the guy with the defense's attention on him to suddenly, he, you know, how much, again, how many eyes on the defense are either on Embiid or on Harden? And then you just flip the ball over to Maxi getting downhill into suddenly a huge amount of space because the gravity that MB is pulling away and that Harden is pulling away and just getting Maxi in these one-on-one -on -one situations. And he's already been this good, even in the spot that wasn't really a great spot for him to succeed in where he just kind of was, Oh, you're the point guard. Now this season, our point guard isn't playing. So you're it. You're going to run the offense now. Like that is not what Tyrese Maxi was supposed to be. He, he played point at Kentucky. He was not good. He was not good good running the show at Kentucky. He was a good off ball guy. He's a good secondary guy. And this is the role for that. So I'm very excited about him. Definitely. I don't know where his props will land because it, it depends on where the lines come up. He's had some really big scoring outbursts this, this year, but if Embiid's going to put up 30 and Harden's going to put up 25, like there's, there's not a ton of points still necessarily there. Tobias is going to score. So it feels like Maxi could be a boomer bust sort of play. Like if you like the matchup, if you like, if there's an opponent that you feel like might shut down and beat or harden a little bit, then maybe rather than playing the maxi over, you look for like an alternate over, go for a big game and, and a big, like if it's going to hit double your output or something like that. 
I feel like Maxi or Tobias, one of them is going to have a, a good scoring game, but it might be hard to figure out which one is which. How, how do you like Harris's bet here? Tobias has been rough. Like he's just been rough this season overall. And I'm not sure that I love the fit with him next to these guys either. I, I feel like Tobias is such a good kind of spot filler, but he, he fills a lot more space. If that makes sense. Like he needs, I think a little bit more room to operate and it feels like it's just, he's just a spot up guy now. And I'm not sure that's the best fit for what he needs to do, especially with how he's been shooting this year. It's just been kind of rough. Now, look, he can have a great series and maybe win them, help them win. But overall, I do kind of still worry about the offense in terms of what they're going to look like in a playoff series over the course of that series as teams figure it out. Like there's been this question of what are you going to do versus Harden and and be pick and roll? And the answer is honestly, well, you better have an elite perimeter defender uh, to put on Harden. And if you don't, you know, you probably are going to need to figure out some sort of mechanism to blitz Harden and then bring, you basically have to double both guys. And then see if they can make both passes cleanly um, that you want to switch on Harden as much as possible. And, the, and so you think like, OK, well, if you switch the pick and roll now, Embiid's on a small guy, won't he just destroy him? If you bring the double quickly, that's when I think Embiid starts to run into trouble. Um, there's also going to think gonna be a lot of opportunities still to just kind of uh, I'll put it this way. Embiid's been hitting his mid-range jumpers since Harden got there. Embiid's mid-ranger is not as good as it was last year. It's fallen quite a bit. It's not bad. Last year, it was one of the best marks that we've seen in the league. This year, it's just been pretty good, right? If you have guys that can actually contest that at a decent level, Al Horford, I think is one. If you have those guys that can just maintain enough space to bother him just a little bit, then I think you're in a spot to maybe make him, dare him to take those those shots. Try not to foul. The fouls are going to be a huge part of this. If they get the same whistle in the playoffs they get in the regular season, I think they're winning the Eastern Conference. I don't think they will. I think that's going to be a big determining factor. Um, I will say this. I looked at the matchups over the last four seasons for Joel Embiid in the regular season and playoffs across any number of matchups for the key players they are going to face in the Eastern Conference playoffs. The big takeaways are that Al Horford really is as good as advertised. Brooke Lopez had the second best differential between expected field goal percentage for Embiid and actual. So Embiid struggled versus Brooke Lopez. Lopez returning to practice, I think, is a big deal for the Bucs. That was apparent in that matchup a couple of days ago. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge surprisingly did pretty well here. Uh, he held his own versus Embiid, and I thought that was a, a pretty notable thing. He held Embiid to a 43.75, a 44% effective field goal percentage, third lowest against any of these opponents that I looked at, and I looked at 11 different players. That seems key. Player that did not do well. Uh, Robert Williams gets trucked. Nick Claxton gets trucked. Jarrett Allen gets trucked. Andre Drummond gets worked. Nikola Vucevic gets resoundingly beaten. That's kind of how it is. Bam Adebayo does a decent job. And the biggest thing is that the Heat defense is able to keep the ball away from Embiid. The question is going to be, how does that look with Harden? I've been high on the Heat and keep saying, like, I like these matchups. If you're looking at playoff matchups versus the Sixers and wondering what team can stop them, I think the Miami Heat are a really good idea. Dwayne Dedman, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler on the perimeter versus Harden. You've got Tyler Hero. You've got the scoring to keep up. And you got Kyle Lowry to take charges. I feel like the Heat are maybe a team that if they get the Sixers, they've got a pretty good shot of beating them. Yeah, the hard thing with the Sixers, it, as much as when the formula works, it's going to look awesome. It's yep. going to look like, Holy cow, we're doomed. It's it's a Sixers regime now for the next few years. But 
it's hard to find looking at the East, like in the right matchup, they're just going to trounce teams and they're going to be at the free throw line 40 times between Harden and Embiid. And it's just going to be a bloodbath, but it's hard to find who the Eastern playoff matchup is, where it's just like, oh man, that team is screwed. They have nobody to answer to Embiid or to Harden. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe one of the playing teams or something, but I don't know if Philly's going to get a top two seed. But I don't know that there's necessarily a team where it's just going to be like hammer Philly in this series because they just won't have an answer. It's easy to see a scenario where maybe the Sixers get that matchup against a playing team or somebody and just trounce someone in the first round. And and again, it's it's a spot where a chance to sell high might feel really good because here, here are the concerns I have, the weaknesses. Two months. We need two months from Joel Embiid and James Harden in the playoffs to get to and win an NBA Finals. We need yeah. two months of health and effort and consistency from those guys. We've never had it or even close to it from either of them. We haven't had it from Harden for a, a while. We haven't had it from Embiid at all. So that's a big deal. You mentioned the free throws. We know that free throw rate drops in the playoffs. We know it has with both of them, especially Harden. And then the other thing that we talk about a lot, we like teams that can give answers and that can be flexible and play multiple ways. If you have James Harden and Joel Embiid, you play one way. You have an identity and you're that and other teams have to figure you out. But I don't know that they're going to have a lot of solutions or alternate identities. And I just feel like they're they're going to be the team that can be figured out by the right matchup. So they're plus 370 right now to win the East at DraftKings. They're still only the third favorite in the East. I wondered if they might move up or even be the favorite after how they looked this week. Do you think that they will be the favorite soon enough? No. I think that the books have shown that they have a real stickiness towards Brooklyn with KD coming back. Uh, my question for you is who's favored in a Brooklyn Philly matchup? Brooklyn is the team that as I was thinking through, like, okay, who's the team that I really like Philly against? Ooh, who do yeah. the Nets have at center again? I, I said that, but then the LaMarcus Aldridge's numbers yeah. are pretty good. Uh, that, that one would take me a long time. I think to figure out that was gonna be a fascinating map series. If it comes to fruition. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on and let's go back. To the future. Back to the future. Every week we pick out a future that we think has value on the board, and we'll say whether or not we bet it. Brandon, I'll go first this week. So uh, I found over at uh, BetMGM the Southwest Division to win the West. So if either the Mavericks or the Grizzlies or theoretically the Spurs were to win, or I guess theoretically the Pelicans were to win the Western conference. It pays seven to one. This to me is like a really good hedge opportunity. If you already have a position built up on warriors and sons, like I do. Um, the reason I kind of bring this up is look, I, do I think that the Grizzlies have vulnerabilities in the matchup for sure? Like I do think that they are matchup vulnerable in the playoffs like I am worried about them. Do I think that some of Dallas's defense is smoke and mirrors? Yes, I do. Like there's a lot of reasons to think that Dallas won't be able to sustain their level of defensive success in the postseason environment. Could be wrong. And you look at how Luke is playing right now. If they go into a series versus the jazz and they're able to play five out, they lost that, that game the other night. 
if that was game one of a series, you would feel pretty good about the Mavericks going forward in that series. Like that'd be a spot where you'd be like, maybe we should be betting Dallas or arguing like, was that Dallas's best shot? I think they're in a good position there. They don't match up well with the Suns. They've never matched up well with the Suns. That's an issue. This five-out formula, though, if they're able to overwhelm teams with shooting and switchability, which they've been switching a lot more, that fundamentally raises their ceiling. It's weird because I don't love this roster by any means, but you look at how Luke is playing and how the defense has been. There's probably value there. And then you got the Grizzlies who, look, they're not perfect, but maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe they're just like, Jaw makes just enough plays. Jaron and Bain hit just enough threes. They get just enough contributions. Dylan Brooks is able to do just enough defense. If the Grizzlies weren't good defensively, I wouldn't think this had any value. If either of these teams weren't good defensively, but they're both top 10 in defensive efficiency schedule adjusted at dunks and threes. And they both have really high ceilings offensively. So it's seven to one. I do think there's value now. Like for me, this is part of a much broader position where I'm taking like long shots all over the place and then add and hedge later. Like I want every, everything covered. Um, this is like a small position for me, but I do think there's value on the Mavericks and Grizzlies at seven to one with a great hedge opportunity uh, later in the series. If you feel like they're just completely outmatched, you're still in a pretty good spot. I'm having a hard time getting there on this one. I I, I get it to me, the Grizzlies and the Mavs, are both teams that are absolutely threats to win a series or pull an upset. But to get to the finals is going to have to be that twice, maybe three times for either one of them. And if I look at the teams in the West, I feel like the ceiling of what we know they can get to for the Suns, the Warriors, the LA teams, if they get healthy, the Nuggets, if they get healthy, the Jazz, if they do what they can, just what those teams can be. And they haven't, and they might not be, but all it takes is one of those teams to, to get to something close to their ceiling. The other thing too is, I think there's a decent chance the Mavs and Grizzlies end up playing each other in the first round. And now my ticket immediately gets cut in half because they, you know we get a three, six or four or five and they're just out right away. So yeah, I, I get it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's terrible, but I, I can't quite get there on the value. I think it's a better play with your portfolio adding it to what you've got already helps to round it out and give you some protection on them. But I don't know if I do it as a standalone for me. All right. What's your back to the future this week? So I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets over 10 and a half seed, AKA the Charlotte Hornets to miss the play in and fall out of the play in race plus 450 at DraftKings. Wow. DraftKings has a bunch of these seating ones up. The Hornets are in free fall right now. They have won two games since January. You are listening to this in March, in case you forgot. Like that, that's a big stretch, all-star break or not. They're two and ten, their last 12 games. Their defense has fallen off a lot. It's a young team that is falling. Schedule coming up is pretty rough for this team. I count 11 games left that they're going to be significant underdogs in. So here's the problem. I don't think the Hornets are a real threat to get up to the nine seed or above. We already know that there are, we know the six good teams, we know the Nets, and I feel pretty good about the Raptors and the Hawks staying ahead of them. So that puts the 10 as the cap. The problem is the teams behind them. One of them has to pass the Hornets, and our choices are pretty much the Wizards or the Knicks. So not great, because (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. The Wizards, however, whoever they've got, here's the schedule. Next six games, Detroit, Atlanta, Indiana, both LA teams, Portland. Those are six winnable games for a team that's trying. 
they closed the season against Minnesota, Atlanta, New York, and Charlotte. So you've got a stretch here where Charlotte has a really tough stretch. Washington has a good stretch. They might even pull ahead by the end of this next week or two. You also close out well. If Washington is close, those are winnable games at the end. And they finish against Charlotte, so you've got a, a real shot to hedge if it's between the two of them there. Um, plus 450 for the Hornets to fall out of the play-in race. But my other option was just taking a, a Monty Williams Coach of the Year and Suns Division Parlay at minus 150, but I'm just not about that minus juice futures life, so plus 450 does. Can't do it. Uh yeah, I can't get there with the deal on this, man. Look, uh, the I think the big problem here is you're just discounting motivation. Yeah, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks don't have Derrick Rose. He's not coming back this season, and the Knicks have their pick. They have every reason to tank and try and get get a lottery spot. Uh, the Wizards aren't going to have Bradley Beal back. That's done. They have every reason to shut guys down and start playing the young guys and look for the future. Like if it was more than one team, I'd be about this. I was like, when you said that, I was like, Oh, that could be interesting. But then I like looked at the standings and was like, Oh no. Cause here's, here's like the baseline conversation. Okay. Even if we don't, I understand these are for the whole season and Charlotte's much worse now than they were early on, but Charlotte's 17th in schedule adjusted net rating. The wizards are 24th behind the Pacers and the Knicks. The Knicks are 22nd. Like the Pacers technically have a better adjusted net rating than the Wizards. And that's the team that you're banking on. I can't get there. So, uh, hey, if it happens, 450, good payout, but I can't get there. I'll say this. You can bet Washington plus 475 to go under the 10 and a half seed, aka yeah. Washington, to make the play in. No, thank you. Like, this is a bet <laughs> against Charlotte. I'm right. not betting on Washington. Right. Somebody else surprised me. Maybe Just anybody, anybody step up. This, this, it, it's a fade Charlotte and see what happens. Maybe someone else gets hot. All I needed to happen is two out of nine times the rest of the way to be profitable. But compared to my my usual picks here, this one is a lighter pick. So just this is a little sprinkle. Have a little fun on the back of the play in race. Yeah, Hornets uh, to make the playoffs is no minus 750 right now. There's not yeah. any value to like, directly fade them. All right, it's going to wrap it up for buckets thanks for joining us make sure to download the action network app you can follow brandon in there in the action network app follow his picks and props and all that kind of things follow him on twitter at wheaton brando you can follow me on twitter at hb basketball please hit us with five star reviews helps us out so much spread the word about buckets if you enjoy the show we'll see you guys again tomorrow for the tuesday night workshop where we go over the wednesday bets with raheem palmer we'll do that at seven o'clock eastern live on youtube and again in your podcast channel we'll see you again then thanks for joining us let's get buckets